Hello and welcome to episode two of Mav Geeks, a military aircraft obsession with myself, Alex Gill and Ginny Carlin. We're back on this second episode of our series all about military aviation. As you'll know from the first episode, this series is all about looking back at some of the most iconic and historic out-of-service aircraft. And we had a great chat with Dick Lorty on the last episode from his time on the Lockheed TriStar. The rest of the series all about those historic and out-of-service aircraft. But last week in London, it was the DSEI, Defence Security Equipment International, a huge military tech expo at the Excel Centre in London. And we were there for one episode only, for a special looking at the future of military aviation. So episode two of Mav Geeks and already a little bit different because we spent the entire first episode speaking about an aircraft that's gone out of service. Mm -hmm. And for every subsequent episode, we'll be speaking about aircraft that have gone out of service. But today we are at the home of, I'm going to say, aircraft that aren't even around yet. Uh, and many other things that aren't even around yet. DSEI, massive military technology expo in the heart of London uh, for this episode. And it is bustling with some of the latest and greatest aviation technology. I love it. Can I just say, Al, this is episode two of our crazy little podcast. We've already changed and, it. <laughs> and we're in this amazing place. I mean, this is where they had the, the Olympics, for goodness sake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're here doing this. So all I can say is we really need to outdo ourselves for the next episode as episode well. Episode three. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I love this. This is like, this is home for me because I just love, I love technology. Yeah. I love planes, obviously. obviously. Um, and we've been over to the Royal Air Force stand and they've got, they're displaying stuff that isn't even in the air yet. Stuff that's in development. That's been development for such a long time. Um, and I've, I've seen some of the stuff at other exhibitions and other air shows that they're displaying here. And what's been really cool and quite interesting is to see how much it develops every time I've seen it. So the Tempest is, is something that we're going to be talking about later on in this episode. It's their new fast jet that's going to take over from the Typhoon. And it is, it's just, I called it sexy when we were interviewing it. And the guy looked at me and Seriously. he was like, you're a bit weird. Like, yeah. I was like, it, yeah, but it looks cool. It's sexier than Tom Jones covered with treacle. It's, yeah. I mean, it's that sexy, isn't it? Yeah. Is Tom Jones sexy? Probably not. But you know what I'm talking about. Once upon a time. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is full on. I mean, so the thing is as well with the Tempest, it's not just one aircraft. It's a whole project, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a new fast jet that will replace the Typhoon. And then alongside it is a whole host of uh, autonomous aircraft that will be... Uh, automatically piloted they will, they will run themselves or they'll be run from the ground they might have pilots on the ground controlling them it's just phenomenal but what I what I really love about this is there's, there's so much it's such a big place it's, it's overwhelming it is. isn't it, it? Is. I mean our feet hurt from walking around oh my gosh my feet hurt after about half an hour of being here to be fair I'll tell you what we'll just talk about the Tempest I tell all I could think of we were talking to a fantastic guy called uh, Wing Commander Cole Welsh mm. and he was talking about the Tempest and like you're saying being surrounded by these, these four other kind of pilotless aircraft and all I could think of was, say hello to my little friends. Because that, that's what it was like, isn't yeah. it? That, that, that wow. is what it's going to be like from 2035. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it because there's so much good stuff coming up. Al, what have been your highlights so far that you've seen? I mean, we've not even seen it. Or we've not even seen half of it. Not even seen half of it. I'd say we've probably seen about 4% of it, to be honest. Yeah, 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 it feels yeah. like we've been walking around all day. Um, so when I arrived, uh, like because, I'm, because I work at Prize and I'm a big 
aeroplane nerd my mind will automatically clock aircraft stuff so mm. walked in was going down the halls I immediately saw Lockheed Martin I was oh, like yes. right big blue stand Lockheed Martin I want to go over there and say hi to them um, because I just love the stuff that they come out with obviously the Herc hold work on. alongside the book hold Rise. on you no love, I know what you're going to say you lo- hold on hold on, hold on. <laughs> you love the stuff they come out with I seem to remember from episode one, series one, Alex, that no. it was me who liked the TriStar and you were like, that engine, it doesn't quite go Apart right. Apart from the TriStar. Shut your face, but honestly. The F-35, the Herc, I mean, they're cool. They, they're a great company. Yeah, they are yeah. a great company. I'll tell you what else I liked about that, that stand as well, is it looks really retro. I don't know if, yeah, I don't. I don't mean the actual exhibits. The exhibits don't look retro. I mean, if there was a TriStar stood there, I would be, well, you know where I'd be. I'd be in seventh <laughs> heaven. But, but the lettering on it and everything, because Lockheed is kind of a real heritage brand, isn't it? You yeah, know, it in is. aviation. Yeah. And I think that they've done all the, the marketing like that. It just I just think it looks great. It looks really um, 1950s or a nod, I should say, yeah, to, the, yeah. to the 1950s. I think it looks great. Uh, I've already just asked you who your highlights are, and I've not even let you finish, but I, I don't care, Al, <laughs> because I'm very excited as well about going to see Boeing. Yes. And we spoke about Boeing Ooh. earlier, actually, in one of our interviews as well. Yes. They've, they've, got, uh, they've got the man who we'll hear from later on in the episode, actually, who's speaking a lot about the Protector, which is the RAF's new uh, remotely piloted drone, is not autonomous. He was quite clear yeah, about yeah, that, yeah, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, 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 yeah. was also involved in a lot of the projects to replace uh, the Century, which has just gone out of service with, with the new Boeing aircraft. It's the 737, which is also the P-8 up at, up at Lossie as well. Good so. boy, good boy. Knowing his Boeings. I mean, you, you know a lot about Boeing. You were rattling off the facts. <laughs> <laughs> so just as we came to speak to group captain Sean G, I mean, what a cool name. It's Sean Very G. Cool. That's, that was the proper name. That yeah. was his real name, for goodness sake. Brilliant. Um, I said to you, Al, you need to lead this interview because I don't really know anything about Protector. And you just went, it's a big old drone. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it is a big old drone. It, it, it's like an aircraft size, isn't it? Yeah. It's a huge thing. That's the thing I think that shocks people. It's, it's normal aircraft size. You know, it's, it's, it's about the size of, uh, you know, any light aircraft, but it's completely 100% crewless. The, the crew are on the ground is being remotely piloted. And that, for me, is serious Skynet next level stuff oh that you gosh. would not get you don't, you don't see it anywhere else other than here the, the cool thing about the protector is it's now out there you can see it you can go to Waddington yeah, you yeah. can see it take off on land and that's, that blows my mind because uh, what he did say was that he was so thrilled that there's actually a public interest in it you know people are people are interested in seeing this stuff because you watch it take off and you're like Hang on, there's no one in that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a bit scary. They're on the ground. Yeah. And it is, it's just mind-blowing. And I mean, we talk a little bit about this in the interview, and I kind of, I don't want to go into the interview yet because there's so much that, we, that we've got to say. You know, yes. We can't stop chatting and everything about it. But that we were saying about, you know, like the Tempest is, is the successor to the Typhoon. Mm. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute. The Typhoon's still awesome. <laughs> the Typhoon is like, it's new. I, yeah. I still think of it as being new and seeing it at places like Duxford and, and just going around the place, just, you know, tearing up the sky still. And that's going to be obsolete soon. Well, I say soon, and like, I mean, they're thinking around 2040 it's going to be retired. But gosh, it, it just seems like new. But already they've got new stuff. And now all this new stuff's out. They'll be working on the new, new stuff. So I thought this. And then, so, so the typhoon, 
think started development in the 70s though it is so old it is ridiculously old and actually one of my favourite that's crackers one of my favourite things I've ever done that's typhoon related is go to RAF Cosford's Air Museum um, because they have their I think it's called EAP but it's their on stand the the prototype that became the typhoon is there and I have a photo next to it because I was so nerdy about it but it's one of my I I just love seeing such an amazing piece of aviation and air force heritage because the typhoon is very cool I love the typhoon a lot. Yeah, I love the typhoon. Uh, but it, like I say, it still feels really new. Mm. But it's not really new. Because are you saying developing like... Since the 70s. You know, <laughs> when I was at primary school. And then... But it still looks... Looks new. Yeah, but Sounds then, amazing. But then, I mean, I don't want to give too much away. But one of our episodes, we were talking about the tornado. Tornado still looks new. See, I don't think it does. Oh, whoa, whoa, That's really interesting. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I think the tornado looks quite old these days by today's okay. standards yeah okay. that's interesting but uh, no I, I can yeah it, I always think the torn, I mean we're getting onto stuff now but I always think the tornado looks like what you would imagine a fighter aircraft to look like yeah. it's a bit like an F-15 yeah I think yeah. so whereas the typhoon just looks space age I think yeah it does you know yeah. especially those, when you see those fins on the front yeah, right, that uh, move uh, around and yeah. especially when you see it from underneath it, it just looks like it, it just looks like a really kind of What's the word? It just looks like a really kind of jacked up paper aeroplane, I just think. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's the, yeah, the shape yeah, yeah. of it and everything just yeah. looks amazing. Um, but well, we, yeah. We do love the tornado. And that is on our Mav Geek podcast artwork. Yes. If people look at that. Yes, There's yes, tornado going is, over our is, heads. So we, we do have a lot of tornado love. And like you said, we're going to be chatting to uh, someone who's operated in the tornado uh, in, in a few episodes' time. So I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> no, no, let's not give away too much. Sorry, sorry, let's not sorry. peak too early, Alan. <laughs> let's not peak too early. One of the other things I was going to say that I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing is, and it might sound a bit strange, but the people that make ejector seats. Right, yes. So I, I, I find ejector seats just strange because... You never want them to be used, right? They're not. No, no, no. You manufacture these things; they've got to work really yeah. well. They've got to be absolutely on point. But you never want that thing you've spent all that time. It's got to work, but yeah. you never want it to be used, right? Yeah, it must yeah. be a really weird it's, job. It's to a have. dire thing. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, th- there's an actual club for people who have been really? ejected out of a plane. Oh, yeah, cool. but there's not many that. people in it because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So it's a really small yeah. group of people. You know what wow. I mean? Who've, done that it's almost like a bomb go- it's an explosion isn't it it's like a bomb going yeah, off underneath going off you to get you like out of bag, yeah bigger kaboom <laughs> yeah. yeah big style big style but I'm, I'm looking forward to going and seeing them is, is there anyone else you're looking forward to Airbus I want to go and see Airbus I love that what I like about Airbus um, from a kind of a homegrown point of view is that it's such a such a big European company yeah you know yeah, yeah. So, so much of Airbus stuff is made in the UK and then goes out to Seville to be put together or you know it's a big yeah. European loving of, of aviation industry that the RAF is so much a part of and just uh, from a proud to be from a country that contributes to that I like Airbus well. yeah no yeah. I, I like Airbus as well I always think it, it's just like a a good steady aircraft you know they like are. the A320 yeah, yeah. and obviously doing that Falklands most so sold much. commercial air yeah. uh, line in the world I think A320 it's, it's mad Amazing. isn't it yeah. and, and when I was doing the Falklands run as well the A330 it's like a really versatile aircraft really versatile aircraft because it can either be used for like the longer short flights or the shorter long flights <laughs> yeah. you, you, know, you know what I mean yeah no, yeah. I, I'm with you that, and, and I thought we might go and have a little cheeky peek at uh, BAE Systems as well. Uh, Love BAE. Looking under the sea as well, maybe as well as on the sea, and obviously in the air too. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you can hear all around us, we're at this huge military expo. There's industry from all over the place. I saw a stat from the 2019 DSEI. Um, there were 1,700 exhibitors in 2019, the last time this happened from 58 countries, probably around the same here. I mean, it's just absolutely enormous. And it's just exciting to be here bringing a podcast uh, about so much good aircraft. Mm. What's the word? enthusiasm yeah, to yeah. people from here because it's a really exciting place to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is with Mav Geeks, I know that we look at a lot of like the retro aircraft and the stuff that's already been retired, but hasn't it been amazing today to have a look at the really new stuff? Yeah. The really, really new stuff and not just uh, the protector, not just the Tempest, but like you're saying, like space. I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than space or so, higher up than well, space, me, does it? space is just an extension yeah, of the air. Exactly. So exactly. We, we can still talk about it. It's fine. It's still up there. It's not a problem. Unfortunately, though, Alex, with all the stalls that are, are present here, there is one that is missing. The uh, stall which shows me how to actually remove my feet and replace them with casters. <laughs> because my feet hurt so much so you can just push me around like a shopping trolley sure which store would you like to go to first I'm sure that's a good defence ploy though isn't it you know get your soldiers on casters and just push them around yeah I mean it's huge right when I, when I, when I turn not your feet sorry oh. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you meant the actual idea of putting casters on yeah, your feet that as well that's pretty big yeah but the whole place is, is just enormous oh, and I crackers. I couldn't find up when I arrived I wasn't entirely sure where the BFBS stand was and I had to I pretty much walked the whole length of it and then about halfway back again before I found it and the enormity of this place is you have to see it to believe it you know it's definitely it, it's like going to the Royal International Air Tattoo or some enormous air show it's about that big and you know air shows tend to be the whole length of a runway and they just you know put lots of exhibitors down yeah, the flight yeah, line yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like that you know it's, it's, it's exactly like that I'll tell you what I'll you need to intro our amazing interviewees from DSEI and then we need to go down the space place, speak to them, maybe get a rocket each, not the ice lollies. So we need you to intro the amazing interviewees that we've got here from DSEI. Yeah, so we went to speak to people on the RAF stand who are involved in the next generation of what the Air Force is doing and that's Tempest and Protector. And these are some great interviews. Yeah, I'm Wing Commander Colin Welsh. I'm SO1 FCAS, uh, working for the RAF Rapid Capabilities Office at Farnborough. Okay, so if we break that down, what does that actually mean? So I am the Wing Commander in the Future Combat Air System team that's charged with delivering the what we call the FCAS, so Future Combat Air System Technology Initiative. It's a £2.8 billion endeavour, collaborating with industry and across broader defence, so the experts in DSTL, the science laboratories, and DENS, the procurement experts, and four key industry partners, British Airspace, BAE Systems, Rolls-Royce, Leonardo and MBDA, to deliver the future combat air system concept, which is a whole lot more than just a new fast jet. Okay. So what is the main thing that you are working on at the moment? So the main constituent part of the Future Combat Air System Technology Initiative is the Team Tempest Initiative, which is looking to deliver a, uh, a core vehicle and a suite of collaborative capabilities that will replace the Typhoon some point in the, in the mid to late 2030s. 
it's much more than just a brand new fast jet, like you said. So tell us a bit about the team and, and what's incorporated within that. Yeah, so it's groundbreaking in that it's a, a defence uh, project that, that really scales up to being a national endeavour. It's a huge amount of money that the nation is investing, but it's also a huge amount of money that industry is co-investing with us. So we have a shared investment in the success of the programme. So those four key partners, the K4 as we refer them, that are investing alongside us, are motivated to... Uh, behave in the right way, to advance the technology in the right way, to integrate seamlessly and the, the headquarters at Team Tempest headquarters in Farnborough where I work within the technology initiative is, is co-manned with individuals who are badgeless, they come from industry, they work in the HQ and then at the end of their rotation after a few years they'll rotate back into industry thus sharing the experience uh, between the, the, the two sets of the teams whereas commercial and defence engagements in the past could be looked upon as being a little bit contractual in terms of how they run. This is much more a collaboration where we are co-invested in both the finance of the programme and the shared outcomes, which is that national endeavour of delivering a future combat air system that is viable, that is competitive and that is affordable for the nation to replace the Typhoon. I was going to say, the Typhoon still looks uh, just a fantastic aircraft. It looks thoroughly of its time and almost futuristic. How, how do you kind of improve on that? So it, it, the Typhoon is a great aircraft and will continue to be great because we've committed to continue to invest in the Typhoon until it's out of service date. And indeed, a lot of the wider technologies that Team Tempest is investing in and the technology initiative more broadly is investing in will spin off in the meantime into the Tempest to keep it at the very cutting edge. But we can't ignore the fact that the adversary threat is continuing to build. And if the aircraft is to be competitive um, and relevant in the late 2030s, we have to invest now to get that programme underway to maintain it the, the cutting edge of air power because for us control of the air is essential so of all the rules that the RAF execute very very few of them if any can be done without sufficient control of the air so therefore we need to control the air to keep the, the nation safe um, and the secondary major factor in the Team Tempest initiative is the UK prosperity. We have a brilliant industry here in the UK uh, and some fantastic primes and fantastic SMEs working at lots of different levels and huge quantities of cutting edge technology that rival anything you'll find anywhere in the world. And if we don't invest in it, and collaborate with those teams to, to bring the very best of breed forward into the, the future mm -hmm. systems, th then we, we won't be doing right by the nation. So the prosperity focus is huge for us. Something that I've seen with Tempest over the last few years, I think I first saw it uh, at Riyadh. This was the first time I've seen the, the autonomous aircraft that will operate around and, and with Tempest and so every time I see it I'm seeing something new uh, like the, the the development time of a, a brand new fast jet capability and, and everything around it is is huge but this is the first time I've seen like a big sort of next step I mean the, the time it takes to, to come up with a, a brand new platform to replace something like the Typhoon must be massive. They are. They're, they're time-consuming and cost-consuming programs but we've set ourselves an ambitious agenda to do what we did before are much, much faster. From the outset, that combat air strategy was focused on a system. It's about a network of capabilities. It's about the, uh, the capabilities we're discussing specifically now being um, uh, networked and procured alongside each other in partnership with each other, but also with full awareness of all the other capabilities that the Air Force and broader defence, the multi-domain integration, are looking to bring in. So the assets of the future will have uh, high-speed data links with each other. You'll share information. They'll do the computing at the very, very edge to minimise the amount of information that's shifted around networks at pace. They'll be talking to space-borne platforms and sharing that situation 
situational awareness, that targeting information, that ISR-based information to, to make sure that the, the, the system itself uh, operates as seamlessly as possible. And we're a really unusual opportunity just now and a rare opportunity to to design what that future looks mm. like in good time so rather than being reactive to a developing threat and reactive to the need to replace something now we can be proactive and define those systems to operate together on a network as of now specifically downstairs what we've got on display is a, a 112 scale model of uh, the tempest uh, core vehicle in partnership with three uh, same scale, so 112 scale Mosquito air vehicles, mm. uh, which are a demonstrator project we're running within the Rapid Capabilities Office in partnership with DSTL just now. The team Mosquito, who are made up of Spirit Aerospace uh, in Belfast, Intrepid Mines in Northrop Grumman, UK. And we're investigating what we would call an uncrewed adjunct, which is an additive capability to a formation of, uh, of aircraft that could operate potentially independently on its own, but we see it probably operating as a four ship of the future, where you have a single temp core vehicle and multiple potentially differing uncrewed adjuncts where you can offboard some equipment and some sensors some technology from the core vehicle onto those adjuncts where they will operate collaboratively and hopefully create that full ship of the future it's at very early stages and project mosquito really looks to demonstrate the viability and cost of building uh, a relevant platform at a price point that's acceptable. So uh, it's an exciting program and that scale model that, uh, that is downstairs uh, really shows that and you can see a lot about that online as well. God, how exciting is it for you to be at DSCI just showing this amazing platform because you know you, you've put so much work in and I know it's a team of you, I know it's not just you. You must feel immensely proud of what is downstairs. Uh, so firstly, it, it's great to be back at DSEI, uh, the, the hustle, the bustle of the environment, the engagement you get. Any team is about sparking off the innovation of others and the diversity of thought that you can bring in. Uh, and DSEI is a great place to capture the thoughts of a huge number of like-minded individuals and that mirrors what we do within Team Tempest itself. So uh, the, the, the FCAS Technology Initiative is an almost exciting programme to be part of because the people that are doing it now are architecting the future. Mm. Uh, and being able to come and show through the cockpit that we have on display downstairs, the models we have on display downstairs, the augmented reality displays that we're starting to build and tell them about what the future might hold is great. And we, we weave that into something we call Generation Tempest because the UK was, was approaching a really big decision point in terms of its combat air enterprise. There are people that have come out of retirement to physically deliver their skills wow. to the success of generations so that we can do this because it's been a long time since the mm. UK led an endeavour of this scale. We have invested hugely in graduate engineers, in apprenticeships, we speak to schools, cadet organisations uh, on almost a weekly basis to build that STEM focus to make sure that Generation Tempest is as excited about the future mm. that this system could, uh, could generate uh, as we are to be involved in the architecting and delivery of it just now, but it is absolutely an exciting world. You're at the very forefront of Air Force technology at the moment and, and like the next generation of, of fast jet and combat air power. Where did your Air Force career start? Uh, I joined the Air Force and uh, by choice because of a rather inspirational individual that commanded my university air squadron up in uh, Glasgow, uh, chose to go down the rotary ring route. So I became a support helicopter pilot and specifically on the Puma, uh, operating initially in Northern Ireland and then in both Southern and Northern Iraq on operations there. So a particular soft spot for the, the Puma in terms of its operational relevance, all the more brought into focus just now with its, its likely retiral in the, in the coming months and years. That must be quite an emotional time for you, <laughs> knowing, knowing that it's about to retire and go out of service. There's a unique um, 
camaraderie on the support helicopter force due to the shared experience you have together in unusual places of the world, dangerous places of the world, doing interesting things together with a real instant delivery of satisfaction for a job well done and a really relevant operational job. Uh, and I think as much as missing the platform, it's the people uh, and that spirit of camaraderie which is really just throughout the Air Force and I, I think you can see it as we build towards the next generation Air Force now from the everybody from the Air Cadets upwards it, it's just a, it's a thing we have and for me the Puma Force uh, really embodied that that spirit of camaraderie mm. which is all about operational relevance and operational excellence. Where did that name come from obviously you know the famous mosquito yeah. the de Havilland mosquito are you use, reusing the, the names again? You, you see there's, there's, re there's relatively speaking a pattern in the Air Force's <laughs> reuse of aircraft and, it, and again it probably links back to the point I made about camaraderie and spirit in that there is a reason uh, certain names invoke certain uh, uh, certain visions of the past and certain visions of what the, the future might hold so for me the Mosquito was an incredible aircraft design with a very specific requirement in mind um, uh, vulnerable in some ways mm. uh, but very very capable in what it was designed to do so I suppose when we have Mosquito for the future it, it, it is similar it doesn't have an individual in it we call it an uncrewed adjunct or a supporting aircraft uh, and it's there uh, as, a, as a potential part of that force mix of the future, mm. just as the Mosquito was a really important part of the force mix of the past, yeah. What excites you the most? I mean, obviously it's a hugely exciting project, but with, with the Tempest project, what excites you the absolute most about it? It's the fusion of the technology and the people. So the technology is incredible, uh, and it, it's really hard to encapsulate just how much the UK leads in so many of these fields of relevance to, to future combat air. Um, but fusing that with the potential to inspire a generation of individuals to take up um, that cause and carry it forward, not just within the next generation of the Royal Air Force, but the next generation of industry, to make them ever more competitive, to motivate them to deliver an ever better capability to us, to represent the nation uh, and to build our prosperity as a whole. But th those, those two twin agendas, I think, of technology and people are really what, what make me get out of bed and be really, really pleased to go into work every day. I'm uh, yeah, Group Captain Sean G. Uh, and I've got the honour and the privilege of being the programme director for UK Protector, which is our next generational remotely piloted air system that we're bringing into service in the next few years as part of the RAF's uh, next generation air force. So Protector is remotely piloted system, which basically means in the aircraft itself, there isn't a crew, it's uncrewed. and. So some of, uh, we've been flying it out of Waddington, so it's the first time that uh, a Protector has been flown from the UK. It flew into the UK in 2018 when it took part in the Royal International Air Tattoo, but the whole purpose of the, uh, the trials and, and, and demonstrations uh, that we've been doing over the last few weeks and will continue over the next week are to show that Protector can integrate seamlessly into a United Kingdom airspace. That's quite a leap for the public. This has been the first time that they've got a, you know, a large aircraft-sized drone flying around in, uh, in, in UK airspace uh, alongside other aeroplanes. Uh, and I'm pleased to say uh, that it's been doing that really easily. Uh, we've had you know, traffic either from air traffic or from, uh, from other aircraft have, have not even noticed that they're flying alongside a remotely piloted system. So what 
protector will do militarily uh, is it, it replaces our current remote piloted system called Reaper. Uh, it means we can deploy it at range, fly it over a sat satellite communication link from RAF Waddington or anywhere else of, of our choosing and enable us to deliver military effects anywhere over the world. Primarily it's an intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance aircraft, so that means the eye in the sky gives the soldier on the battlefield that, you know, that God's eye view of exactly what's going on. It also has the ability to, uh, you know, to, to deliver its own, uh, own, own effects. What, what's your story? What brought you to Protector? I started off in, in the Air Force um, uh, 20 odd years ago as an as, as a engineer. I was fortunate enough to be uh, sponsored by the Air Force through university, uh, joined and then spent my formative life on fast jet squadrons. I then got into the intelligence world uh, and was involved in kind of products and systems that were moving intelligence around the, uh, the world. I then got into uh, a delivery of high-end technical programs uh, and in the last five years I've been in the intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance program office. Our role is to basically bring in all of the UK's air intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance system. So latterly we've uh, introduced uh, the UK Poseidon P8 which is our new maritime patrol aircraft. Uh, we've been out of that business for about uh, 10 years when the, uh, when, when the Nimrod was retired. We're now back in that business uh, to you know, counter those very uh, prescient threats that are out there and to make sure that our shores are, are protected, etc. Uh, we're also bringing into service the uh, Wedgetail Advanced uh, Airborne Command and Control System, which replaces our E3D sentries that have just gone out of service, uh, along with our, our Sentinel Wide Area Surveillance System and Protector fits into that mix of products to be able to provide you know, intelligence and that eye in the sky picture for commanders and soldiers on the ground and indeed now sailors at sea as you've seen with Protector with its awesome maritime capability uh, to, to understand what's going on out there and if necessary uh, to, to, to deliver what we call effects. Now, an effect could be, you know, a bomb or something that goes bang if we need to take out uh, a, you know, either a system or something, or indeed it can be something a bit more nuanced in the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, so it enables us to, you know, compete with uh, compete with our adversaries. And Protector's got such brilliant technology that it does that incredibly well. Have you noticed that there's quite a buzz around it from the public? People are really interested, especially as it was in the news quite recently at Waddington. There's a lot of interest around what this, I think you said it was an aircraft-sized drone. You know, it's a big its a big bit of kit. It's hugely capable. Um, but there's a real public interest in what it's doing. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I'll, I'll be absolutely honest with you. The, the first time, uh, because I, I effectively took over the programme during COVID. So uh, like most of the public, uh, the closest I got to a protector has been over a video screen or been, you know, understanding the internal workings of it through, 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 through uh, a, a range. When I saw it for the first time, I did exactly that. I was like, wow, it's a lot bigger in real life yeah. than you thought. You know, I'm used to operating with uh, uh, combat aviation, so Typhoon, Tornado, that's all my background, and protectors as, you know, in the same scale as one of those, you know, aircraft. It looks like an aircraft. The, on the only difference is there's nobody sat in, uh, there's nobody sat in, the, in, in the front. From a, a public point of view, that's really futuristic. That is yeah. proper 
next gen stuff. Absolutely. I mean, my uh, my eight year old son described it. It looks a bit like an alien. Was his was it his kind <laughs> of view? Uh, but a smart alien, and he sees all of you know that sort of technology on Netflix every single day in the million and one cartoons that he he watches. That's now real. That's flying around where we are, and you know keeping our country safe, enabling us to. Uh, uh, to, to, to do what we, we need to do both here and, and, and overseas. It's, it's really important to say remotely piloted is the, uh, and, and I know I, I'm the sad person that looked at the etymology of the word drone and actually the, the, the definition of drone is a remotely piloted system. So it's not pilotless. There are people yeah. in the loop, you know, 24 it's not seven. Flying itself. Someone no. is flying it. Yeah. No, there's somebody there, you know, monitoring and control. Obviously, like every other aeroplane, assisted by a great deal of technology to make sure that there's, it's not going to interfere with another aircraft, it's not going to interfere with the ground or anything, all those other things that we, we worry about. Protect has got the, what we call the detect and avoid system. This is a certified system, basically based on a radar that enables you to scan the horizon and make sure that you're not getting anybody else's bubble. That's the thing that unlocks the system to be able to fly in what we call uncontrolled airspace so you're not under the direct control of an air traffic controller the the, the aircraft is is all under control of the, the crew just like any other aircraft i think we the general public see something like protector or i mean we've just been uh, talking about the project tempest as something that comes out we we and are about it fantastic we don't realize just how long in the making these fantastic pieces of kids have, have been. How, how long has the project Protector been going for? Yeah, I mean, the, the lineage goes all the way back to our current system, uh, Reaper, if you like, which was the first remotely piloted system, and that, that was developed to, uh, to meet threats in Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria, and was very successful at, at, at doing that, you know, saved a lot of soldiers' lives, protected a lot of people, and you know, helped us uh, you know prosecute those uh, th th those th those missions as as required. So we're talking right back into kind of 2002 almost when when that nascent technology was brought in relatively rap uh, rapidly. Since then, we've been working with General Atomics, who are the uh, company that have designed uh, Pr Protector, and probably in 2012 is when we formalised the option. That then said, okay, we, this this technology is really cool. It's 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 gone it's gone above and beyond. We need to take this a bit further. We need to be able to deploy it anywhere we like, and we need it to be able to fly in uncontrolled airspace because then it is just like any other aircraft, and we can get it where we need to get it uh, relatively quickly. Uh, so yeah, the option was back in 2012. The program was officially put onto the program record in 2016. So you're talking about you know eight eight years really. Uh, but all of that history behind it in terms of bringing that and then if you look back into if you google where kind of remote technology you're going right back to almost you know we were doing remote technology stuff almost in the from the second world war so the idea has always been there and slowly as you know satellite communications the internet all of these things have started to develop we've now been able to develop our aviation the big thing that keeps crossing my mind about it and it's a bit of a technical question yeah how does it talk to everything else because it's going very quickly it's at high speed and it's always moving so is it 
is it base stations and satellites? Is it a bit of both? You know? So it, it's re- it's relatively simple, exactly as you say. It's it's satellite communications mm-hmm. that you know fly, flying the ones and noughts around are way faster than we're ever going to develop a, uh, a a vehicle to move at, whether it's an airborne vehicle or some, something on the ground. So it's satellite communications that enables you to fire off those ones and noughts that enable it to talk and be seen and, and fly anywhere anywhere in the world. And, and you know, that sort of technology is proliferated in everything that we that we do now almost, isn't it? Every time you pick up one of these. So think of when you're, uh, and I'm holding my phone now for the camera, uh, for, the, for, the, for the radio, sorry. Uh, when you speak to someone in, in America, that's, that's the same sort of uh, method of, of, of control that protects yeah. protector. Um, so we're here at DSAI, we're having a good time, you know, huge expo, we can hear the noise around at the hustle and bustle, it's a fantastic place to be. Have you enjoyed speaking to people and talking about Protector and, and kind of showing them what it's all about? Yeah, very much so. So for us it's been a, this is another kind of uh, waypoint in our journey over the last kind of month. So with Protector coming over to the UK for the first time, we were at Waddington last week and we were able to showcase it to the Secretary of State and for him to announce the uh, the investment in the infrastructure at Waddington. So then to follow up the week after at DSCI with all of those international partners that are interested. Yeah, I'm you know I'm absolutely I'm I'm, I'm a surfer. I'm absolutely stoked. The, this new technology it, it doesn't get any any more interesting for this for for somebody who's uh, who's an airman and involved in aviation. Just one question from me. You must be looking to the future already, though, kind of post-protector. Uh, yeah, we're always looking to the future. That, that, that's the Air Force, that's next gen. I'm sure Tempest said exactly the same. Technology is moving and has moved at such a rate that we're always kind of looking for what's the next thing that we should be doing. Because the minute, almost the minute that we'll have protector flying around in the UK in, in, in 24, technology will have taken another leap possibly uh, and we want to be at the forefront of all of that. So you said you were based at Waddington, the old RAF Lincolnshire with so much heritage from the Second World War from Bomber County. What are the parallels do you think between Protector and all those years ago and those missions that happened then? Yeah absolutely you know there's a there's a real meeting here of kind of the next generation and, and our forefathers and the sacrifice that everybody gave previously in the Second World War. Uh, we, we held a uh, sunset ceremony at International Bomber Command and it really linked to the point that back in the Second World War bombers were flying from RAF Waddington in Lincolnshire. Some people weren't coming back, they were you know, given the ultimate sacrifice in the, uh, in the protection of their country. Uh, so it's really apposite that Protector is going to be flown from RAF Waddington uh, years after delivering you know, the next generation of the Air Force, continuing that theme and continuing uh, all of those heroics and successes that the Air Force has built upon. Are you a little bit sad to see the back of the E3 centuries? Am I a little bit sad? I'm always sad when any you know, bit of aviation gets kind of retired from, uh, from, from the Air Force, of course. You know, the people that flew Sentry and the, the, the number of missions that Sentry flew uh, in, in 
various campaigns, yeah, phenomenal, and I, and I salute everybody that was involved in those uh, the, those squadrons. Part of my role is I'm bringing in the next generation Sentry. So although we're you know we're closing one chapter of the book, we're opening another one with the E7 Wedgetail, which again, a bit like Protector, brings the next generation of all of that. Uh, in 2024, you know, 2024 is becoming a big nexus for the delivery of the next generation of, uh, of, of airborne ISR. You'll see the E7 Wedgetail flying now from Lossy Mouth, it's, uh, its home, uh, and you know, continuing, I'm sure, in the, the rich success that Sentry enjoyed. How amazing was that? Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. That was two of the next generation pieces of kit from the Royal Air Force. The Tempest isn't even out yet. It's not going to be out until 2035. Mm. We've got a long way to go. Protector is out now. It's in training. It's being trialed. And people can go and see it. And I, I really, really like that it's something that is tangible. You know, because when mm. you talk about next generation kit, it's not something that people can always visualize or you can't go and see it yet but this is actually flying out of Waddington now doing trials doing training and I, I kind of just want to take a road trip up to Waddo <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I love Waddington it's one of my favorite air force stations I just love it I want to go there do you know what I really loved as well uh, with um, group captain G and as well with wing commander Welsh just a pure excitement yeah I mean they love it here as much as we do. They do, and they just love their jobs. They love all the stuff that's, that's coming out, all the new tech. You can see they're almost like two little boys talking about it, just just loving it so much, and that I really enjoyed. Anyway, I'll, I need to go and soak my feet because I've got another week to do here. So um, I, th <laughs> I think we should go. Listen, if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to chat about anything that's gone on at DSEI, or if you want to agree with me from last week that the Lockheed TriStar truly is the finest wide-body jet in the world forget what Alex says <coughs> please give us a shout <coughs> mavgeeks at bfbs.com next week we're going back to old aircraft and we cannot wait to be talking about some of the well, some of our favourite out of service aircraft on the rest of the series but thank you joining us from DSCI catch you next week bye